You are listening to The Hemp Startup Journey. My name is Jason De Los Santos, co-founder of Spectrum Labs, a hemp extraction facility in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sitting down with hemp entrepreneurs, scientists, and politicians willing to share their perspectives, lessons learned, and how we can make an impact on the hemp and cannabis industry for everyone. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me on the Hemp Startup Journey. How's your day going so far? Uh, so far, so good, man. Good, good. Well, super excited to talk with you. Um, I know we were, we're going back and forth a little bit, trying to uh, figure out a good schedule. So I'm, I've been looking forward to this um, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, I think before we get into all that, I always like to start by asking people, um, about how they got into the cannabis industry, uh, but even before then, what you do. So um, if you're at a, at a gathering, or, or maybe when you were, right, I don't know how, <laughs> uh, how your gatherings are going nowadays with the whole pandemic thing, uh, you, you introduce yourself to someone, somebody says like, oh, hey, Brandon, nice to meet you. What do you do? How do you answer that? Oh, man. Um, interesting question. Um, you know, in, in years past, um, you know, the, the simple answer is I am a owner and operator of a cannabis dispensary and cultivation facility. Um, however, that's kind of morphed and changed uh, a bit as of late. Um, I, I exited formally from the uh, company I co-founded, Natural Selections Dispensary in Colorado. Um, and we sold that to another operator um, and, and uh, kind of relinquished that license. Um, and our new journey is essentially um, looking for limited license opportunities essentially across the U.S., uh, specifically in the retail cannabis space. So still a cannabis retailer. Um, now I'm just focused on newer opportunities. Cool. Okay, great. Well, maybe if we get a chance, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, and then um, what was your journey into cannabis? Because it seemed like you were not in this space for, for that long. <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's, uh, it's funny, you know, the, the online bios, um, you know, are, are certainly scrubbed and polished a bit, <laughs> but my, my true journey is that I'd always been, you know, going back to, you know, late high school and, and college days, especially in my early, um, late teens, early twenties, I, I was a, a pretty heavy recreational consumer of cannabis. And, and we're talking, you know, the, the very early two thousands. Um, and, uh, you know, during that time I went to attend university of Illinois. Cannabis was certainly a part of my journey and my friend group's journey through college. Um, upon graduation, I knew um, a couple of things. A, I needed a job. Uh, but B, beyond that, I think I was pretty sure I wanted to grow weed. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this is 2001. Um, and I uh, bought my first house. Um, and even prior to, to even buying my first house, I bought uh, my two first grow lights uh, from eBay at the time and I bought some mm -hmm. seeds. So uh, I was near, I was I was certain that I was going to be entering the um, you know as a hobby more than anything and be able to provide myself with um, you know high quality product. That was my my sort of main vision and journey was to hey let me, you know let me grow product in my basement you know supply myself and my friends um, and 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 just sort of have that way instead of dealing with sort of sketchy drug dealers and you know dealing mm -hmm. with things of, of uncertain uh, un uncertain quality. Uh, keep in mind this is 2001 and I'm living in uh, on the south side of Chicago. Um, and there is, you know, certainly no medical laws and uh, recreational wasn't even a thought. Um, so, you know, sort of living a double life uh, where I was working full time in corporate America. Um, but my true passion was sort of coming home to my basement uh, and being on the cultivation side and just sort of immersing myself in, in all things cultivation. Uh, there were some very robust and active online forums uh, that I kind of took part of, took a couple trips out to Amsterdam and visited coffee shops to get oh, genetics. Cool. Um, you know, had a passion for, for just kind of growing and, and the science behind it. Um, and also the fact that, you know, 
one of the main things, uh, one of the things I love about the industry, there's a number of things I like, but uh, one of the things I love about particularly cultivation is you really do get to see the fruits of your labor in real time. Like those hours that you're putting in every night in the basement um, will translate to much higher quality product, better yields, you know, um, and not to mention just sort of the, uh, the idea of sort of working with your hands and, and doing something tangible. I think we've gotten away from that, um, you know, uh, to, just as humans. So um, all that to say, like I, I developed a deep passion for cultivation. Um, I did that off and on kind of juggling this double life of uh, being an underground cultivator uh, and, and a, you know, a corporate citizen in my day job uh, for about 10 years. Um, and then one day I just kind of woke up with an epiphany. I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to move. I'm leaving Illinois. I'm going to greener pastures. I'm going to a spot where the, the medical marijuana industry is thriving and I can do this full time and make a go at it. So um, in 2010, I moved to Colorado um, and, and that's kind of how the journey started. Mm -hmm. When was, uh, when did Colorado legalize? What year uh, so I think the, there was a, you know, Colorado would have developed pretty interestingly. Um, it was essentially the Wild West when I moved out here in 2010. This is pre-regulation. Uh, so there was a ton of storefront dispensaries that were just kind of popping up under the medical guise. It was very similar to the Colorado, or, I'm sorry, to the California early days where, where it was Wild West. And, you know, folks would grow in their basement and be able to kind of bring their product to um, unregulated dispensaries. There's no such thing as a dispensary license at that point in time. Um, and you have to kind of, you know, pop into a dispensary and with a duffel bag and a couple pounds of, you know, freshly grown product and, and with thousands of dollars in cash. Um, you know, 2012, the, you know, Colorado decided it was about time to regulate the market, both the medical um, and that's also when adult use of the past. Um, and and they, they put very robust um, sort of regulations in place, um, you know, for, for the betterment of the, the industry as a whole, right? So now you just don't have dispensaries popping up on every corner. There, um, you know, the, the things have to come from uh, a licensed producer. They, you know, instituted the sort of uh, seed to sale program, um, you know, the, and, and track a trace and, and make, making sure that all of the product is indeed coming from licensed uh, cultivators. Uh, so I was kind of in Colorado for the inception of the industry as a whole, the, the full, you know, Colorado was the first state to kind of um, implement these regulatory guardrails. Um, and, and I was here at the ground floor for, for, for all of that. So um, so yeah, that, that's just to give you a little bit of background. When I first moved out here, it was the Wild West and um, the industry very, very quickly evolved into uh, sort of what you're seeing now where it's uh, sort of fully regulated and, and all of the producers are compliant and all of the retailers are also fully compliant. Right. Uh, you know, what I always find so interesting about the cannabis and the hemp industry is that uh, compared to other more traditional industries, people go to school, they get an education, you know, they learn about that specific craft. And then so many people in their industries, they, they just have a passion for it and they just figure stuff out. You know, like you were saying, you go to forums, you visit, maybe in your case, farmers and just, you know, talk to people and just kind of learn stuff. And uh, I mean, you've even won certain accolades, right, in the industry for growing certain strains, uh, like just basically self-taught and, and through your network. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, again, that's a, it's, a, it's another, you know, sort of beauty of seeing an industry just kind of sprout from the ground up, you know, it, it, it's almost been, you know, there, there's very few times that a new industry sort of evolves out of, out of nowhere. Um, and I think we were a lot, we were lucky, a lot of the folks who were um, in similar positions to mine, where they were just kind of studying and learning and self-taught and doing these things in their basement, finally had a place where they can sort of move to, uh, via, whether it's Colorado or California, some other states, but finally had a plant, place where they can sort of uh, utilize these talents. Um, kind of showcase the, the talents and, and the breadth of knowledge that they have um, and make a living doing so. Um, you know, there's, you know, a 
I mean, several of my peers who were doing the same things that I was in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, participating on these online forums and things, you know, they're like, hey, like, I'm moving to Colorado and I'm setting up shop, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and, and have seen tons of success from that. So, um, yeah, I think it's been sort of a true success story to see folks kind of come out of the shadows um, and be able to kind of participate in the industry and, and kind of, um, you know, again, in my case, some of the strains that, that I've developed and brought to Colorado at one awards and accolades. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's certainly been, um, you know, it's, I guess, a success story and a, and a yeah. story that's not often not seen, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let, let's transition there a little bit. So that you're a board member of the Minority Cannabis uh, Business Association. And um, I'm not sure how long you've been doing that, but you seem to be a, a prominent voice of that. So can you talk a little bit about the, the association and sort of its mission and, and what, what it's focused on? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I got involved with the uh, the MCBA. I think it might have been oh man, probably close to uh, four or five years now. Um, and and it was. And from my end, I really wanted to let other people of color know that, hey, you can succeed in this industry. Um, we're incredibly underrepresented for sure. Um, and there's going to be, you know, some, some huge roadblocks, uh, particularly with folks of color and, and gaining, um, you know, not only the sort of expertise, but, but particularly the financial resources needed uh, to open and launch any sort of cannabis business. Um, but, you know, I, I have been very successful in, in my career out here and, and very fortunate and, and a little lucky, but I definitely wanted to share my story and, and, you know, initially to help sort of inspire other folks to participate, uh, people that were participating in what we call the legacy market, folks like me who were growing in their basement, you know, 10 years prior and had a passion for the plant or might have even been, you know, uh, you know, selling, you know, high end marijuana at some point in time and want to transition to a dispensary owner. I want to let them know like, hey, you can't do it. Um, Lately, it's transitioned, and, and I guess I, I'll, I'll go back to the primary mission of the um, Minority Cannabis Business Association is to increase participation um, for Black and Brown folks in the industry, period. You know, um, people who have been disenfranchised by the war on drugs, um, and we're really heavily promoting these social equity programs, and, and the three pillars are which are community reinvestment. Um, our communities have been destroyed and, um, you know, and, 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 and frankly devastated by the, the impacts of the war on drugs. So there has to be some sort of financial component um, and some of those tax revenues and dollars need to be directed back to these communities. So we have the community reinvestment piece. Um, you have the criminal justice reform. Um, you're, you're seeing some big wins here where, you know, certain states have automatic expungements. Um, being arrested for a joint, being arrested for a quarter pound of marijuana should not be, uh, should not be essentially a death sentence where you can't get a job in corporate America. Uh, so we need to see these, you know, criminal justice reform happen and happen immediately. You're seeing some strides there where, um, certain states are adopting once they adopt uh, an, an adult use policy, also adopt you know a policy for automatic expungement. But we still have some, we still have to make some strides, right? We still want to make sure you know people are still being thrown in jail for cannabis. So you know it, it's that that's a second mission of the MCBA. Uh, and the third, and what I was initially focused on, is um, you know minority ownership um, and and financial goals and, and making sure that we see folks of color, um, if they're not owners and operators, that we see executives of color, that we see. Um, you know, ancillary businesses that are being run um, by people of color and that we, you know, use this opportunity as America's creating a brand new industry uh, to create a better industry, not the exact same industry that, that you've seen where it's being dominated by um, corporate interests. So, you know, we only have one shot at this and we need to make sure that we're doing it right. So that, that is essentially the mission of the MCBEA is, is three-pronged as the community reinvestment, criminal justice reform, um, and, and minority ownership and participation. 
Okay. So this is uh, so outside of my level of expertise. So um, sorry if I ask you these like really pedantic questions, but like it, it, it's just so interesting. So on, on the third point, minority ownership, because uh, you're trying to get more involvement, you know, maybe education. Like how do you how do you help to increase minority ownership? Like what kinds of things do you, do you do to aid that? Yeah, yeah. Frankly, it starts uh, on the policy level. Um, you know, I think. You know, again, Colorado did a lot of things right as far as the regulation of cannabis. Um, but but one misstep since we were a state is we didn't necessarily recognize um, how the deck is stacked against minority operators. So as you're seeing these, you know, states come online, so to speak, um, and you're, you're seeing different municipalities and, um, you know, locations and states sort of consider, um, you know, the cannabis and, and how to license these businesses, uh, we need to fight for equitable policies. Um, I think what that means in practice is a lot of the states, particularly east of the Rockies, have a limited license game. So, you know, you, you take a, a state like New York, if I'm not mistaken, their, their very first medical law had a handful of licenses that were available. Um, and all of these licenses went to uh, these, you know, companies that had humongous war chests and were able to kind of navigate that process and become award and, and be awarded a license. Um, you know, I think a more fair regime would be to a more fair licensing re regime would be to, to open it up. Let's go, you know, let's take a more free market approach. Um, let's not put caps or artificial caps on the amount of licenses that are being given out right now. Um, let's let the, the market sort of dictate and allow folks who have a passion, may have a bit of a nest egg, may have some connections, um, but may not have the sort of wherewithal in the war chest of these companies that, you know, in some cases have billion dollar valuations, right? Um, you know, that to, to allow some of these smaller players in. Um, there's other other sort of policies that we push for, whether it's exclusivity, um, you know, sort of giving uh, a, a limited window in which um, social equity operators or, or folks who've been disenfranchised can apply for these licenses without having direct competition from these other um, multi-state operators and larger companies. Um, so there, there's a few different ways that you can kind of tackle the issue. There, there's no perfect policy yet. Um, that's something that MB, MCBA is working on currently is, you know, we need to take the greatest hits um, from almost all of these states and figure out what is going to make um, really good policy moving forward. There's some pieces of Illinois legislation that are wonderfully crafted and there's some that that aren't. Um, you know, Sam goes with, with you know, New York's new law. So there, there's, you know, we want to try to take the greatest hits um, and, and sort of the 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 most meaningful and impactful um, sort of policy positions that are going to impact folks of color um, and, and kind of make that commonplace as new states uh, come online. So that that's the, the bulk of our mission now is, is crafting good policy, um, crafting inclusive policy. Um, and the third part of that is, is, you know, making sure that some of these smaller operators have the resources to to actually um, stand up and operate a business. You know, the, the wealth gap in, in the U.S. is continuing to increase. There's no stopping that. Um, but we don't want to see that kind of trickle down into the cannabis space. We want to make sure that some of these smaller operators um, can, you know, tap into state loan funds. Um, you know, at some point, if there's some federal movement, SBA loans, we need to sort of uh, make sure that we can provide a sort of direct lending source or direct source of equity investment into these um, newly formed businesses. So uh, it's a big lift and it's a lot of work and we're, we're making strides. But, um, you know, this, this, you know, this, this battle is going to be continuing over the next decade of that. I guess. 
Right. Yeah, I, I always find it so interesting in states like, uh, I think, Florida, uh, there are a few licenses and the companies have to be fully um, vertically integrated. Mm -hmm. So the whole farming, they have to manufacture, they have to retail. And I, if I remember correctly, there might only be less than a handful of companies in Florida and yep. some other states do it very similarly. So, uh, you know, the amount of money that you need, the, the amount of capital to create a company like that and, and just to be able to even compete. Um, just curious, why, if you're wondering if you've ever spoken with a politician or someone that does policy as to like why they do that, as opposed to like, your version, which I, I would be more keen to, is to just open it up. Whoever meets this criteria, right, you can apply. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah, um, you know, honestly, I think a lot of it was fear-driven policy. Um, you know, I, I think politicians as a whole typically are risk-averse. Um, you know, there's certainly exceptions to the rule, but when you're talking about a state, it's particularly in, you know, like the case of Florida, which is in the South, um, probably a purplish state, um, you know, there's gonna be folks that are like, mm, I'm okay with medical marijuana, but I don't want to open the floodgates. I don't sure. want a next door to me. I don't want, you know, we need to put some very, very strict guardrails on this. And I think, um, you know, that, that's what you're saying borne out is, uh, is almost every licensee um, in, in the state of Florida at one point in time, those you know companies were trading at $65 million, um, extremely valuable companies uh, for the selected. I think there's you know maybe 10 or 12 operators out there in the state. So um, so yeah, you know, I, I think from you know a politician standpoint, I think uh, they underestimate um, the sort of political will uh, to maybe open up licensing. Uh, I think there's certainly a lot of nimbyism, um, especially when you're getting granular on the municipal and local politics level, where you know uh, a city councilor is like, mm, you know, I we can't just open floodgates. We we don't want our our, our town to be a, another Denver. They they typically throw Colorado under the bus there, um, where I'd argue that hey, Colorado has, has you know. Know, great quality of life. Um, you, you know, we have so many small businesses that are thriving due to the industry, so many ancillary businesses, and the fact that we've all been able to kind of spread our wings and go nationwide, that's sort of a testament to the success of it. Um, but, you know, politicians uh, think otherwise. So I think there's, I think it's just the, the risk averse nature of it, um, along with maybe, um, you know, some the lobbying interest of some of these larger firms um, who like the limited license states. If you're having, yeah. for, if you're having a ton of success, winning licenses and these competitive processes, and have a built-in market share, you want those policies to to be implemented everywhere. You don't want a free market. Um, so I think there's certainly probably some lobbying interest on, on the other end as well um, around opening the floodgates. So, yeah, again, um, it, it's it's an uphill battle. It's a fight that we're we're having every day. We're trying to educate politicians on the merits of saying, hey, let's let's raise these caps at minimum. If you're going to have some license caps, let's make them extraordinarily high, right? Like let's let's allow um, more operators instead of fewer operators. And if there's some con consolidation in the industry, so be it. But I think, you know, most folks would agree that, that they want more small business owners um, being able to own and operate these companies as opposed to, you know, buy product from, you know, the seven different dispensaries in your state. <laughs> um, yeah. Better for the consumer, um, better for job creation. Um, and, and I think it's just better for the, the overall health. Mm -hmm. um, the so that's uh, speaking from the perspective of you as a, as a business owner, someone in the cannabis industry. Um, what about are there roles that consumers can play in all this and, and social equity within cannabis, um, or maybe other businesses surrounding that? Is there something else that other people outside, directly outside can help with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, as with anything, just kind of being engaged around the issue um, is sort of key. If you're you're in one of these sort of limited licensed states and you're kind of like, dude, I, I, the, the quality of product here 
is trash, right? <laughs> we need more operators. That is that is specifically due to the fact that these licenses are so limited. So, um, you know, if you can get more folks engaged with the the issue and it, and especially boots on the ground, um, and let and lobby your your local politicians, I think that's one step. Um, and and other municipalities and states where they may have more robust licensing, um, support your smaller operators. Um, support these craft growers. Uh, support the you know operators of color. Uh, I I do know that you know at some point in time there's going to be um, you know, one of our collaborators is probably going to roll out an app that'll allow folks to um, be able to sort by women, black, minority-owned businesses. Um, so make sure that you kind of support them, because I mean, most of us could certainly uh, use the support. Um, and then take, you know, become members of organizations like the MCBA, um, who are who are definitely fighting for better and more inclusive policy. Um, and and I think you know, part of our our mission and what we do and give back to the members is just kind of in, in turn keep them informed of what's happening um, on you know a state and local level um, and let them know like, hey, you know, there's a new bill that's coming out in Georgia. It's not really looking that favorable. They're only going to have three cultivators. It's, you know, um, while it might sound good on the face of it, it, it's, you know, in the long run, it's not going to do much for equity and, and for um, allowing some of the smaller operators to even have a chance at licensure. So um, I think education um, and, and keeping keeping your eyes on, on what's happening on a policy side is going to be key. And then supporting some of the smaller operators and some of the organizations that are trying to do this work. Yeah. I wonder if part of this is um, a, a part of a perception issue. You know, do, do you have people that come up to you, people of color that say like, oh, hey, Brandon, like, I, you know, you're, you're someone that represents, you know, minority business owners in cannabis. Like, you know, may, maybe there's a chance for me. Like, if, is there that conversation? Because I wonder if some people think like, oh, well, like typically you don't see, you know, black or Latino business owners in cannabis. Is, is that a thing that you hear? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. Um, and, and there is a lot of excitement um, around this movement. I mean, I think one of, you know, the last development was a pretty robust, um, on the face of it, social equity program in Illinois. Uh, they were licensing an additional 75 licenses, which um, is a decent amount. Um, they could certainly be licensing more, but, you know, 76 for, for the state of Illinois was a big sort of step forward. Um, and due to the, the scoring metric, they were essentially going to be reserved for social equity operators. There's no way for you to really compete if you weren't a social equity operator. Um, unfortunately, there was, you know, some hiccups with how it rolled out. Um, and there was some, you know, concerns about how uh, these licenses haven't officially been issued yet. Um, but effectively, you had to have scored a perfectly, a perfect score on this application okay. to even have a shot at a lottery. So there, there were some flaws there. And, and unfortunately for the program, I think the decision, um, you know, to the, they included like veteran points. So in order to get a perfect score, you not only have to be a social equity operator, but you also have to be a veteran. So um, again, I think there might've been some uh, strategic missteps um, in, in the program's rollout, but that not, but, you know, but the excitement hasn't waned. And, and um, you know, and, and I used to hear, I'm from Chicago originally. So I used to hear from folks all the time, like, man, how can I get involved? Can you help out? me out with my application? Do you think we have a good shot? You know, so I think the excitement um, around these policies are there. Um, my, you know, I think my concern is that uh, reality um, just doesn't quite match up with you know, the, the, the excitement and the amount of folks who have interest in, in the cannabis space and want to be involved um, is not even close to being matched by the amount of licenses that are being given out and that, um, you know, minority cannabis operators are awarded. So we need to close that gap significantly. But yeah, yeah the excitement is there. The interest is there. Um, it, it's where we're falling short is the execution. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Um, so the image that I just got was almost like a, this fight of uh, David versus Goliath. 
Goliath being politicians, you know, current legislation, uh, perception, you know, history over the last hundred years or so. Um, like you, Brandon, you as, as the individual human being, like, why do you do this, right? Like you, you have a family, you have a business, like you could be doing anything else, right? But like you're, you're choosing this sort of Sisyphus fight, like, you know, going up, uphill constantly trying to fight these things that are, that, you know, maybe some days you wake up and like, man, this is impossible. Um, why continue doing that? Um, you know, as a business owner, like the business is a very rewarding business to be in. Like there, there is, um, you know, the, again, I, I mentioned it before, but being, you know, at the ground floor, um, and, and shaping us history with a brand new industry, um, it, it, there, there's something exciting and rewarding about that every day. Um, you know, getting out of the rat race and, and getting out of the, you know, I want to call them shackles of corporate America, but being self-employed. I mean, things like that are, are, are incredibly rewarding on, on the business aspect. Um, as far as the policy work that we're doing, um, you're, you're absolutely right. Some days it is frustrating. Like there, there's, you know, I, I don't love the incremental process progress that we're making. Yeah, we're making some baby steps in certain states, um, and and we're making bigger strides in, than others in, in some of these aspects of social equity, whether it's the community reinvestment piece and whether it's the you know um, criminal justice reform where we're getting folks' records expunged and getting them out of jail. But um, but again, the, the minority ownership and representation and as a whole in the industry still far lags behind, and there's still a ton of work to be done. And I think maybe what drives me is the fact that you know I can maybe. I can be part of the change effort. Um, and, and even though we're having, you know, five losses, you know, if you do get one win, that could be, you know, 30 extra black and brown owned businesses, right? Like that could be helping to create general generational wealth for some of these folks who are able to participate in this industry um, due to thoughtful policy. Um, so, you know, like some of these, these wins are incredibly important. Um, and I, I don't necessarily, there, there's a few of us who are well um, positioned to, to kind of push this message forward, but I, I think I'm probably uniquely positioned in that I am an owner operator in the space and have, you know, been successfully navigated it. Um, and I, it's probably incumbent upon most um, operators of color to, to give back and kind of, um, you know, just reach a hand back and try to help the next man. And I think that, again, the best way for us to do this is, is, be, is through wholesale policy change. Um, so, yeah, you know, even though we're not making wins every day and making strides every day, um, you know, the, the, the fight has to continue, you know, like there, there's still so much opportunity. Uh, we're, ju we're just in a little over half the states right now have some sort of um, medical and, uh, or an adult use framework in place. But, you know, that, that, that still leaves, you know, more than a third or close to half um, that remain. So um, there, there's still a ton, a ton of progress that we can make. So, you know, we need to pick up these wins where we can. Yeah, great. Well, um, I, I hope that you celebrate those wins whenever you get them, because I mean, obviously, it, it's it's a whole bunch of work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I figure that's that's probably a good place to close up. Um, so, if uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you or reach out to you or, or maybe learn more about what you do, how would you recommend people go about that? Yeah, you can uh, you can check out. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on um, you know with, with minority cannabis business. So uh, my email address is Brandon at minority cannabis. I'm sorry, it's Brandon B at minoritycannabis.org. Um, and uh, you can check out our website, become a member, and see what we're up to. But um, yeah, contact me via that email or our website www.minoritycannabis.org um, is probably the best way. Great, awesome, Brandon. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your time and for what you're doing. Uh, so keep it up, and hopefully we can reconnect again when uh, you get the uh, the next win. We can talk yeah, about yeah. that. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having awesome. me on, man. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you. 
Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day. Thank you.